Hello and a big welcome or bienvenue to another episode of the Migration and Diaspora podcast with me, your host, Loxanne Harley. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Audrey Jolivelle from the International Centre for Migration Policy Development, ICMPD, to talk about the role of interstate migration dialogues in migration governance. So first of all, a bit about Audrey. Audrey is the coordinator of the Secretariat of the Euro-African Dialogue on Migration and Development, otherwise known as the Rabat Process Secretariat. She is also the West Africa liaison at ICMPD. Audrey brings some 15 years of professional policy and managerial experience in the migration field. She has, since 2015, facilitated the Rabat Process Dialogue, which is an intergovernmental dialogue on migration between West, North and Central Africa and Europe, involving more than 58 country partners, two regional organisations and some international organisations as observers. Previously, Audrey's work as a migration researcher and consultant has centred on building partnerships for policy, programming or research with practitioners and policymakers that have helped build consensus and identify joint interests on migration governance while facilitating impactful policy. Focusing on the Rabat process, our interview really digs into the critical role that interstate dialogues play in fostering exchange between countries and creating both formal and informal spaces to help, at times very divergent, migration interests to converge and for consensus to be built. We also talk about Audrey's personal insights from seven years coordinating the Rabat Process Secretariat. I think we can all imagine some of the complexities, challenges and opportunities inherent to managing a grouping of 58 country partners, ranging from the Congo to Norway. And I really appreciate how Audrey speaks to us candidly about how she and her team at the Secretariat approach their work. And finally, we touch on some of the other interstate dialogues out there and ICMPD's experiences and lessons learned from managing several of them. I know this is a bit of a new topic for some, so I've taken the liberty to share some useful links in the show notes, including a link to the Rabat Process website itself, some of the work it's done, including some of my own work with the Secretariat, hashtag shameless self-promotion, and a link to a page on the International Organization for Migrations website, which lists all the interstate dialogues currently in existence. As always, thank you very much for listening. Get in touch at loxanharley.com forward slash podcast to let me know what you think about this interview and to subscribe to never miss an episode. Without further ado, here's our interview. Okay, so Audrey, welcome to the show. How are you and where are you calling in from? Well, thank you, Loxan, for inviting me to your podcast. I'm fine and I'm pleased to talk to you today. I think this is a really nice initiative. So uh, I'm calling from, uh, from Brussels today. Fantastic. Thank you. And uh, also, just by the way, you know, France, uh, well, you're French and France is the third biggest audience for the podcast. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. After the US and the UK, France is third. So it's, it's very good to have you, our first French guest on the show. And very briefly, do you, do you actually remember where we met? I think it was in, in um, Ghana, no? <laughs> yeah, exactly, Ghana. <laughs> I have the image in, in my mind, but I was, yeah, in yeah, Ghana, yeah, I remember. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. in Ghana at NECWA's um, conference thing or a Valletta Summit thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, anyway, and I remember, if, well, I'll come to what I remember about our first meeting at the moment. But first, tell me about your own migration and diaspora story. 
Yes, the dice by the story made me smile because I mean, <laughs> there are such differences, you know, in concepts and 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 approaches. I've learned that I'm either European, so I lived in in France, in in Spain, in Belgium, or I've also learned that you know I'm an expatriate belonging to the French community, and I lived in in Senegal, Burkina Faso, Mali, but. I've never strangely and, and, and probably wrongly uh, considered myself a, a diaspora member of my community or, or a migrant. But yes, this is my this is my diaspora story. Yeah, and I, I <laughs> thank, thanks for explaining that. And I remember as well your link with Senegal because I remember when we first met. One thing I remember you saying: you said Senegal was your pays de cœur. Yes, so, I said it. Yeah, you know, you know Senegal, <laughs> close to your heart. So, um, and that's sort of how I feel about Burkina, but but also a little bit about Senegal. I like Senegal, you can see I have a picture of uh, is it that way? <laughs> Me too. You can see yeah. it too. <laughs> We've got Senegalese uh, uh, photos and art behind us. Let's get on to the topic of the day, which is about interstate consultation mechanisms on migration. Mm -hmm. So, tell us a bit about the Rabat process and your role within it? Yes, uh, the Rabat process, the full name is uh, Euro-Africa Dialogue on Migration and Development. So it's an interested dialogue on migration. And now with 15 years of existence, it was created in 2006 to respond to the uh, so-called Ceuta Melilla Canary Island migration crisis. And today uh, it brings together 57 state uh, partners from Central Africa, West Africa, North Africa, and, and, and Europe. Uh, we also have the European Union and the economic community of West African states, so uh, more commonly known as, as ECOWAS. We also have some observers, uh, international organizations such as UNHCR, uh, UNODC, IOM, so today it's, let's say, an open, flexible, informal dialogue. It's a platform for consultation between uh, national and regional authorities about technical but also political questions related to migration and mobility. Uh, it's important to say that it's funded by the European Union and the Secretariat is implemented by ICMPD, International Centre for Migration Policy Development, under the what we call the Project Support to Africa EU Migration and Mobility Dialogue. MMD. The Robert process is therefore what we call a regional dialogue, but it, it has also a greater role when it comes to the dialogue between Africa and EU, because it, just so you have a full picture, it has been mandated to monitor the implementation of what we call the John Valletta Action Plan, which was adopted at the Valletta Summit of Migration in November 2015. So together with another regional dialogue called the Cartum Process, the EU Horn of Africa Migration Road Initiative, we monitor the implementation of this action plan. So my role in that is that I coordinate the Secretariat of, of the Dialogue. We are a small team. We are based in Brussels uh, in the ICMPD liaison office. And our concrete and direct role is to facilitate and support the dialogue. So what it means concretely, it means, you know, organizing meetings, providing expertise, doing some strategic liaison from the technical to the high level. We maintain a very close partnership with uh, the dialogue's driving forces, which are the uh, steering committee and the chairs, because 57 partners, it's a lot of partners. So we need smaller groups to guide the dialogue. So uh, one group is the steering committee. And we also have a chair, which has for approximately one year. So we work with this large number of, of partners also in 
in all those 57 states, we have what we call a focal point. That's the person, that's the country uh, nominates to, uh, uh, to link uh, the dialogue to its administration. So we basically, as a secretariat, we respond to the needs of those partners. It's called state-driven because we really respond to the needs of the partners. And we ensure that those needs also respond to our strategic objective, which are priorities that have been endorsed at ministerial level by the different partners. And we endorse those priorities every two to three to four years. Okay, very interesting. So yeah. in other terms, you are the big boss of the dialogue. I'm, I'm joking. I know. So it's, it's yeah, there was the chair and the steering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a very good way of putting it. So tell us a bit more about what that actually means. So... You said the word dialogue a few times, and you talked about how it's a platform for exchange. It's such a diverse grouping of countries, so I'm just interested in what that dialogue actually looks like, and what is that kind of role of that sort of dialogue in the broader context of migration governance? As a dialogue, of course, the main role would be to advance the dialogue on migration. And concretely speaking, it means exchanging experiences exchanging, sharing practices on policies and, and cooperation. It means also sharing a language, a common language and a common understanding of migration. So the dialogue represents uh, an important source of practices of also partnerships models. And it has also this potential of generating a number of concrete initiatives on the ground. So it's important tool to, uh, to promote, you know, innovative approaches and partnerships. Yeah, great. And could you perhaps give us some examples of what the Rabat process itself has achieved? I mean, it's been going for 15 years and I know it's done a lot of great work, but for listeners out there who are still wondering what concrete impacts these sorts of dialogues have, what examples could you point to? First of all, in terms of activities, a dialogue, what it means, it means uh, meetings. So you can have technical meetings where you discuss a specific topic, such as remittances, but it also means political meetings. So uh, more commonly known as, uh, for instance, a ministerial conference or a summit or a senior official meeting. And you also have to facilitate the exchange of practices and knowledge. You also develop uh, a number of tools to facilitate the decision making. So let's call them, I don't know, knowledge tools. So you have and you participate to, to this, but you have, for instance, guide on, on diaspora engagement uh, practices or, you know, you develop all those tools. Which I heard would... was an excellent guide, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> and you can find it on our website. So, yes, we develop those tools also to, to facilitate the, the discussion. So the achievement uh, for me when lo looking at the robot process, it's first of all, it's 15 years of dialogue, you know, among 57 state partners, two regional organizations, international organizations it's uh, it's nearly 100 meetings facilitated in total since 2006 all those tools developed to uh, support decision making we've also implemented a number of capacity building activities flagship projects and i'm sure that back in 2006 the three founders of the robot process uh, Senegal, Morocco, and, and Spain that created this initiative to address the uh, migration crisis. I'm sure they wouldn't have imagined that we, ha we would have such dialogue today with, with the level of trust that, uh, that we have today. And, and this would be also for me, this second very important achievement would be this level of trust and, and openness that, uh, that we have uh, today. We've managed to have a, a balanced framework. So 
we take into account both African and, and European uh, interests, but over a range of migration issues, you would find migration development, you find uh, legal migration, international protection, uh, you know, return reintegration, readmission, but also fight against irregular migration, THB smuggling, and being able for me to exchange and establish consensus on so many diverse thematic with so many different countries, it's not a given on the outset. It's not that easy, you know, it's, it's really an achievement and it's part of the evolution of the dialogue. For instance, international protection just came in in 2014 or uh, readmission, the thematic readmission just came in in 2016. It's those kind of shared understanding, they emerge from the debate, it takes time, but it's, it's clearly an achievement. And um, for me, there's very quickly, but, but two other achievements that I've seen very strongly in the past year is that those dialogues, they can serve as a blueprint for cooperation. For instance, the, uh, the Valletta framework, you know, it has laid its foundation on two pre-existing and well-established dialogues, the Carton process and, and the Rabat process. Or you can find some of the language agreed within the Rabat, it now serves as a reference for other cooperation frameworks. And this language, you find it in the GVAP, you find it in the new Cotonou, for instance, the new Cotonou commits the EU and the 79 African, Caribbean and Pacific states to, I will quote, balanced, comprehensive, current approach. This is language we use. And some dialogues, they can also serve as a reference framework for new dialogues, you know. Of course, uh, the cartoon process has been inspired by the robot process. Why create something new? You, you can be inspired by all the dialogues. And uh, that's, you know, one, one of the many uh, achievements. But then it's very specific to the robot process because every dialogue has different objectives, but we've also been able to have a very strong operational focus and I, and I like it and there's many examples of that. And finally, and it's also very specific to, to this dialogue, but you can find it in, I'm sure, in many of the dialogues, but it has been one of the achievements of, of the robot. It, it's able to quickly adapt to the new uh, migration realities or to the recent developments. And, and it's not that easy, you know, and uh, the two recent examples were that we are now looking at a new governance layer, the local level and the role of cities. And it, the robot process is, an, is a dialogue for national administrations. We never really exchange with cities and local authorities, but of course they play a major role when it comes to migration. But we never established a mechanism to dialogue with cities and local authorities. And now we are, they are ongoing discussions to see how to, to cooperate and collaborate with this level of governance. And the second example was that in 2015, to better respond to emerging priorities, it was clear that we needed to have a stronger governance model. The way the dialogue was working was not enough. It was too informal too. So we all, we, we decided to, to strengthen the, the governance and we established officially a, a chairmanship model and, and a Troika model. Troika is you work with the past chair, current chair, future chair. Wow, thank you for that, that very <laughs> comprehensive overview of uh, all the great work you've done. And But I, th I suppose it's a bit like asking about the achievements of a long marriage, you know, because you can't always point to specific moments or aspects of a marriage that have made it successful. But part of the indication of success is in how enduring it's been. Yeah. The countries of the Rubat process have wanted to keep it going it's clear that it has that influence on so many areas of regional and international and national migration governance. And, and so I'm curious about you, Audrey. So Audrey, you've worked with the Rabat process for how many years now? 
Now for, well, I looked at it recently. I think it's seven years. Seven a years. long time. It's a long time. And you said it's been <laughs> going for 15 years, right? So, and yes, yes. Yeah. So about half of its lifetime it's has, has been with you at its helm. So I, want I never to... thought about it. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, so um, I wanted to ask, what lessons have you learned from managing the robot process? Well, with no surprise, and uh, but it's not, again, it's not a given, but with no surprise, I've discovered that informal dialogues are uh, essential instruments in, in developing long-term cooperation. And after 15, 16 years, you know, you could legitimately ask, should we stop? And if the partner states decide to, yes, you should stop, and then you would build on, you would build on the resource and networks and knowledge created but so why do we still need a dialogue, you know, after 16 years? Well, it's key to mutual understanding. It's, it's key to learning on experiences uh, of other countries and possibly replicating what you've learned. It's also a complementary tool to, uh, to bilateral relations. And for some countries, it's the only platform to exchange at, at a certain level during meetings or in the margins. Uh, not everyone has access to all the countries. Um, and it, it's also a useful tool. Those informal dialogues are a useful tool that you can activate or reactivate in times of crisis. We've seen it in 2015 where, uh, uh, with the uh, European migration crisis. We've seen it now under uh, this COVID period. At the end, informal dialogues, they are tools. You know, you can really activate or reactivate or work around it. So, and the last thing is, if you want them to implement concrete initiatives, migration initiatives on the ground, it, won't, it will only work if you fully grasp the regional, national and local context. If you don't grasp this context, every initiative, it, 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 it won't work, obviously. And, and the regional dialogues, they play a major role in this regard. Um, the second thing I've learned is, of course, also obvious, but very important, it's leadership, you know, it's no surprise, you need leadership to guide, to shape, anticipate, innovate, you know, influence, etc. But what I've learned is that you need in the framework of your dialogue to promote and enhance different types of leadership so that the states can play different roles at different levels. And it's important to establish a strong governance model for your dialogue so that you have, you know, you will ensure the relevance, the, vi the, the viability, the positive impact on the long term, but also with different roles. And now you have the chair, so the role of the chair, the role of the steering committee members. Uh, we, have, we have what we call reference countries. Let's say they are champions in a specific area. So we, we have champions, you know, and all this, all this help your dialogue maintain a certain uh, relevance. So you need, you need this, uh, you need this uh, leadership. And, um, and another, another uh, uh, learning uh, uh, thing for me, the, the, the last one was the state-driven nature. Uh, we are often asked, very often about the inclusivity and opening the dialogue to new stakeholders. You know, what about the role of civil society organizations, including diaspora organizations? What about the role of academics and think tanks? And, and of course, they are crucial for knowledge, uh, what's happening on the ground. It's crucial for the expertise, for the know-how, for the access to the local level. But if you have a state 
uh, uh, if you have a state-driven uh, dialogue, it's a delicate exercise. You have to ensure the participation and contribution of all the stakeholders, but while not diluting the state-driven nature of, of your dialogue, you have to find the right mechanism. And it's not that easy. That's why we have, for instance, developed a roadmap to collaborate with civil society organizations. But this state-driven nature is very important. If tomorrow it's not state-driven anymore, then it's not a national, it's not a dialogue for national authorities anymore. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think there are different channels and forums in which states and non-state actors can come together in different configurations based on the needs that are foreseen. Because I had, uh, I, I posted about something on LinkedIn about the Rabat process at some point a couple of months back. And I remember someone from, I think someone from South Africa commented to say, why is South Africa excluded from the Rabat process? And uh, I mean, it was a kind of strange question to me, but for, and, and I'm not, I don't know if I explained it in the way that you would explain it, but I, I kind of explained that um, in my view, you know, European, Northwest and Central African countries have come together in this specific configuration to discuss a set of interests that they see as common to them. And there are other forums in which Southern African countries and European countries can engage with each other and indeed Southern Africa and other African countries can engage with each other. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how relevant that was to what you just said, but but that's something that came to mind. Um, and also one question I had about a dialogue as diverse as the Rabat process. Oh, oh, and just by the way, for listeners who have heard a few, who have heard Audrey say a few things, a few terms like uh, JVAP and cartoon process. Yeah, sorry, uh, we have a lot of... Uh... <laughs> no worries, I'll, I'll link to those things in the show notes uh, so that you can hear more. Um, but uh, Audrey, I was, I was always curious to hear your take on how, you know, you have such a diverse group of countries. So 50, 56 countries, you say, right? Plus some observers. Uh, that go across all these different regions of, of Africa and Europe. You know, how do you, well, first of all, how can you make these member states accountable for the kinds of commitments that they make? I mean, you mentioned that you have certain uh, roadmaps and action plans that, that they come, uh, that they develop together. How do you actually develop those joint commitments and then hold them to those commitments? So first, maybe about accountability, um, um... This is an important point. I mean, the robot process is non-binding. It is state-led, but informal and with a ministerial mandate. So uh, if it's non-binding, you're not accountable as such, uh, but, and it's voluntary character promotes, that's what promotes fruitful and open discussions between states on specific migration issues. And even if you're not accountable as such, this doesn't mean that you don't fully commit to follow up and report on, on, on the progress made in the framework of your dialogue. And it doesn't mean also that you don't fully commit to openly discuss and establish future milestones and, and, uh, and priorities. And as a consultative process, which is the case for the robot process, you are often being given uh, an informal mandate at either ministerial level or heads of state and governments level. And this means that you have endorsed uh, priorities and political commitments that usually translate into our jargon action plan or operational roadmap or you know political declaration in our case we have post an action plan with priorities endorsed and, and a political declaration so you will regularly take stock 
of the progress uh, uh, on, on the implementation and follow-up of your priorities through the steering committees you organize or through senior officials meeting and through also what we call um, in our case uh, uh, progress reports. And uh, part of our mandate, for instance, to follow up on, on the Joint Valletta Action Plan is to follow up on the implementation of this uh, Joint Valletta Action Plan. And we use a database which assesses how the recommendations uh, issued under the two dialogues, Rabat Process and Cartoon Process, uh, guide partners, countries in their uh, implementation of policies and programs and legislation. So this database is a critical follow-up tool uh, that has gone through regular updates and improvements since uh, since 2016. And uh, we now have a system also of data visualization tool and we can produce, you know, dynamic visualization of aggregated data of all the initiatives and policies of on migration in the in the Rabat and Khartoum uh, process region. So we use different tools to uh, uh, to report progress, technical, political uh, uh, reports, and we meet often and regularly to follow up on the progress. But the notion, yeah, I really wanted to make a, to make a point on, on accountability because, of course, there's nuances into what we mean by accountability. How we, that's a very interesting question. How, how do we do to reach consensus? Basically, that's your question, you know. Yeah, that is part of it, really, because, yeah. you know, there, some might think, what does the UK and what, what does Bulgaria have in common with Niger and uh, Burkina Faso, etc. So there must be some divergent interests. I was just curious about how they manifest, you know, how those divergent interests manifest and then how do you manage them and, and get that consensus? Yeah. Well, there are divergent interests not only at national between uh, uh, between uh, countries, but even uh, at national level. Sometimes, yeah. you know, <laughs> among different ministries. But yes, it's it's a challenge, of course, because you have different administrative structures, uh, work processes, history, political priorities differ, and uh, I think informality is one key. If you have an informal dialogue. And if it's informal, it can help bring these varying and, and sometimes opposing interests closer and lead to mutual trust. So it, I think it is crucial that countries meet and discuss issues without the restrictions uh, often posed by bilateral and formal meetings. So informal exchange of expertise, experience, you know, information, knowledge, uh, um, it's, it strengthens really the knowledge base within administrations and ensures informed policy development. And at the same time, I think that increased trust between administrations can deepen their relation and, and at the end improve the uh, operational uh, cooperation. So if representatives can discuss uh, bilateral matters informally, outside of the meetings sometimes, you know, in the margins, and but also uh, in the meetings, it often lead to the identification of common priorities and, and practical cooperation possibilities. So informality is one key. And the second one, you, you said it with your uh, example of, of South Africa, but this is the second key to reach consensus is, is one of, of the keys, there's many keys, but for me, the second key in, in the case of the Rabat process would be the regional approach. The regional approach is key to reaching consensus because you share a mutual and similar experiences. And of course, it helps you to build common understanding and identify joint priorities because you belong to, you know, um, to, to, to a certain region that shares common challenges, but also common experiences. And in the same idea, and more recently, as a Rabat process, we've been exploring 
I, what we would call a wall of a route approach, so migration routes approach. It's not new, but this would help the partners identify also John, uh, John priorities. And there was an, uh, an interesting note from the EU uh, presidency of, of Finland in, uh, in November uh, 2019. 19 trying to define what we would call by a role of a root approach so it would be um you know so i will quote it it's it's kind of looking at the different routes from a broad perspective and studying the patterns and profiles along the world route from countries of origin through transit countries to the eu uh, and and it helps finding a common approach if you look at i don't know the route of of a trafficking starting uh, uh, somewhere and and uh, mm -hmm. uh, finishing elsewhere you you share common uh, concerns and and challenges that's how you would reach consensus and and of course a lot a lot a lot of consultation <laughs> and liaison and consultation and liaison and well the the point you made about uh, the fact that it's an informal dialogue which creates a lot of i guess the informality creates a lot of chance interactions you know it's kind of like in the office you have the water cooler and a lot of interactions and work gets gets done around the water cooler in those in those uh, the side margins perhaps of these big summits that you run as well uh, and icmpd seems to manage a few of these interstate dialogues right you have you have the the rabat process the prague process I think you're doing an EU India one as well. And why has ICMPD been the go-to partner for running these sorts of secretariats? Yes, it's true in various forms. Uh, ICMPD is tasked with uh, support and secretariat functions for several migration dialogues, connecting Europe, uh, its uh, Eastern neighbors and Asia. Uh, there you have Budapest process, Prague process on one hand, and also Europe and Africa and Middle East uh, through Euroman migration, Rabat process, Khartoum process, Valletta framework. And each migration dialogue uh, has its own operative framework, its own agenda and thematic priorities, its, its own geographic coverage, and its own participation. So it's, it's a different work. Also, we would call it secretariat. Um, but um, uh, if you look at the ICMD agreement, uh, uh, in 1993, one of the uh, main tasks ICMD member states have expected us to perform is to, and I will quote, improve and facilitate regional and international cooperation in the field of migration policy and migration management, including dialogue between countries of origin, transit, and destination. So since 1993, this has been a core activity to facilitate a secretariat and increasing number of, of migration dialogues. Mm, okay, so yeah, it really goes at the core ICMPD was founded on. And what kind of capacities do you think ICMPD has built that has allowed it to run all these processes? Well, I think first, what is uh, really important, and uh, we've uh, developed skills, uh, of course, and, and it's it's a learning uh, process. But what is really really key is to be and remain a uh, neutral broker if you're a secretariat. And I think this role is crucial. I think in this regard, 
you know, and sometimes for any for any reasons, if you are secretariat and suddenly your chair is is less responsive or your steering committee members are less responsive because they have other high priorities such as you know um, electoral periods, uh, terrorist attacks, etc. Sometimes you could be as a secretary tempted to replace the role of those states temporary uh, temporarily because you can actively yes and you can decide, but it's not your role. Your role is to guide and facilitate and. I think I'm convinced that a big part of the success of a state-driven dialogue resides in your su success as a secretariat in maintaining and defending your role as a neutral broker. So your role is to ensure a balanced representation of interest. Your, no, your role is to ensure that you are not too visible so that every step is really fully owned by the states and fully based on their commitments, not your commitments, their commitments. And for me, the secretariat is really the safeguard for a balanced and, and, and state-driven uh, uh, dialogue. I think that's why one of the key skill. If you don't have it, you will you will just fail. You know, um, um, so that that's really key. And then you have more traditional skills, of course, of expertise and network. Why expertise? Well, if you just look at the robot process, we have five thematic areas, twenty three priorities. You just look at the joint valid action plan. You have five thematic areas, eighty nine priorities. So you need to have a strong knowledge and expertise to be able to really fully understand the complexity of your and the nuances and scope of your work. You need this expertise so that you can prepare carefully the discussions and meetings uh, to ensure that you will not create, you know, sterile debates or or worse like tensions um you know if tomorrow your 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 57 state partners tell you we want to have a fully dedicating uh, dedicated meeting to readmission well you have to know how what to put on the agenda and how to frame it and how to yes so you need this expertise also to be able to uh, co-draft a, a variety of policy documents because you will be drafting handbooks but also political declaration and and finally you need also a strong network because sometimes you have very urgent priorities you need to organize like in very quickly a meeting on that thematic or a political meeting there and you need to mobilize your network and you need to tell them hey look in five days i will be sending you there so that you can discuss you know uh, 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 legal migration or, 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 or so you need you need you need a network of, of practitioners on the you were there but on, on the um, uh, meeting we had in abuja at the time when we could organize Physical meetings. We had this fabulous meeting in Abuja in Nigeria, and we had on remittances. We had, uh, you know, we could mobilize uh, more than twenty-five practitioners for this meeting. And I'm not speaking about national administrations. And the last skill I would say it's like similar to diplomacy. We're not a diplomatic entity, but it's it's high-level liaison skill. I would call it. So you need to know how to collaborate and liaise with fifty-seven states two regional organizations covering five different geographic areas and it's not that easy it requires for you flexibility <laughs> no it's not easy it requires flexibility sensitivity discretion anticipation deep understanding of your partners not only who they are personally 
but also how their administrations work, you know, and, and grasp their national context, you know, to understand that, to be able to facilitate the dialogue. So you need also to understand when is it the right timing to suggest a new topic? Is it the right timing? And how should I suggest it? And how to move forward? How to mobilize, you know, how to respond to, 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 to their priorities and needs? So it's fascinating. And at the same time, I would say a very complex exercise because also in part, your work is rarely visible uh, nor well understood as a secretary yet. <laughs> and, and you have to ma make sure that tens, tens of officials from tens of countries get their visas and fly into the same place. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> On time. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> You just outlined an incredible body of work and you're kind of like the unsung superheroes that are working backstage to make sure everything runs well. And I know you said you're not... Well, the team will be super happy when I will tell them we are all superheroes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and I'm glad that on the this podcast, we've been able to highlight some of the work that perhaps doesn't always go noticed, but is very important. And just to also emphasize what you said about how you're not a diplomatic organization, but what you do requires so much diplomatic skill <laughs> that it's, it's part and parcel of that kind of dialogue work. Okay. And so before we close, I just wanted to get your take on, well, first of all, I guess, an update on the future of the RAP process, and, and also your take on interstate dialogues uh, more broadly, whether there'll be any new interstate dialogues uh, and mechanisms that emerge in the future. I think it's it's high when they've been, you know, recording the number of interstate uh, mechanisms and consultative processes and just speaking about uh, regional dialogues, I think we are uh, 18. Uh, so in 20, yeah, in 2019, we were 18 regional interested dialogues. And I'm not, not speaking about the different kind of dialogues you could have. So emerging new ones, I don't know. I think it depends how complementary you can be to, for instance, bilateral relations, how complementary you can be to more continental approaches, you know, such as a dialogue between EU and, and AU. If you really uh, have this added value and, and you're able to complement the different approaches, I don't know if new one will, will emerge. I think it's important that we are able to, increasingly able to collaborate with other uh, regional dialogues to understand what they do, to share different experiences. Also, not just among uh, the state partners, but also as a secretariat to, to exchange with different secretariats. For instance, working with the uh, Secretariat of the Khartoum process has been really interesting. Uh, we've been able to exchange a lot of, of and also to concretely uh, organized joint meetings because I exchange with uh, different secretaries, but with the cartoon process, we've been implementing, you know, joint activities. So if we are able to uh, increasingly work in synergy and complementarities, we might not need, you know, new ones. And um, uh, also because many times if we have a regional approach, also our work is complementary to what uh, regional organizations do. So in the framework of, of Africa, you have the regional economic communities and COAS is an important partner of the Rabat process. It has this regional approach. It contributes, of course, very actively. It's a member of the steering committee. It contributes actively to what we do. So if we, you work with, in my context, with regional economic communities, EU, et cetera, you might not need new ones, but if yeah. there is a need, again, it's state driven. Yeah. As I said, if there is a need, uh, there is a need. Yeah. And uh, for us, uh, the future's robot process, I think um, 
we had to questions uh, we had to question uh, ourselves you know in this time of 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 uh, covid of course yeah. so uh, since march 2020 um we've been actively adapting our agendas um allowing for instance participants participating countries to explore COVID-19 implications on mobility and migration. Um, we've been, we are not new as dialogues to uh, crisis-shaking migration governance. Nearly all regional dialogues, they, they were created because of a crisis-shaking, you know, migration crisis. So uh, we are not new when it comes to, uh, to, to migration uh, crisis, but we have continued to discuss and brought uh, uh, partners to operate Openly discuss responses to current challenges uh, that uh, COVID-19 poses. If I look at the different dialogues we have on on labor markets, on welfare, on protection of labor migrants, and also to be able to to respond to the after COVID-19 and and also to anticipate, uh, dialogues are of course important tool to prepare the, the future. So we've been working under this situation and we've not interrupted the, the dialogues because we are here to feed um, and the policy discussions uh, based on up-to-date and, and reliable uh, information. So we've also enlarged our network so that we would have up-to-date information so that we could inform our partners about what was going on uh, in, in the different regions. So yes, we've, we played a lot. We were very active and uh, on this, we've published an, an, an interesting article as I think uh, on, on the website about the role of the dialogues on the, on the COVID-19 crisis. So I would encourage everyone to, uh, to read it. Fantastic. And just lastly, how can listeners connect with you and learn more about your work? We have a, a robot process website. So if you uh, very simply type a robot process, so you will find the robot process website. We've been also active on, on social media, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, but, but the truth is our main communication tool is the website. Uh, that's where we really communicate. We also have a private area. So if you register, you can access to a number of documents you can access if you don't register. And, and you can, of course, always contact us at our regular, you know, professional email address at ISMPD. Well, thank you very much, Audrey, for your time. Really appreciated it. And it was fascinating to learn more about how these interstate cons- consultative dialogues work. I'm sure our listeners would have enjoyed it as well. So, you know, keep up the good work, even, yes, thank even you, Luxem. behind the scenes and doesn't always get the praise it deserves. Uh, I'm glad we had you on the podcast. So thank you very much and best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for giving uh, giving us the opportunity because, of course, it's it's me, but it's also a whole team behind it. So. Yes, Absolutely. thank you, Alexander. And, and of course, yes, Secretariat of the Rabat process. It's not just Audrey Jolivelle, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's Laura. It's, exactly, uh, Fiona it's Laura, and... Fiona, then yes, exactly. Absolutely, it's so a shout out to them too. All right, thank you again and take care. Thank you, Luxan, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Migration and Diaspora podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can check out the podcast website at loxanharley.com forward slash podcast. There, you can subscribe to the mailing list or get in touch if you want to be on the podcast. Be sure to follow the podcast via your favourite podcasting platform and leave a review if you can. Thanks again and see you next time.